Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook Live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. I'm Brie Payton, friend of The Daily Signal and staff writer over at The Federalist. And I'm Jenny Maltavano, a contributor with The Daily Signal. We've got a great show for you today and a lot to unpack, so let's get started. First up, Nikki Haley was amazing this week. There was some confusion with the White House concerning sanctions on Russia, and this confusion broiled over Sunday when some in the administration said that Haley's talk of increased sanctions was not accurate and likened her to being confused. Well, she fired back in a classic, epic Nikki Haley quote and said, with all due respect, I don't get confused. (laughs) And now the White House is backtracking a little bit and clarifying, so props to Nikki Haley. So Amy Schumer is getting backlash for her new film, I Feel Pretty, about a girl who works in the beauty industry, has low self-esteem, sustains a head injury during spin class, and then when she comes out of a coma, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so beautiful, and becomes convinced that she's the most beautiful woman in the world. So following the trailer, critics accuse the film of body shaming and setting a, quote, standard of beauty so high that someone as conventionally attractive as Amy Schumer doesn't meet it, Fox News reports. So Amy Schumer has been firing back, saying that the whole point of the movie is that the girl in the movie isn't ugly. She just has low self-esteem. So Carrie Underwood was back on the public scene this past Sunday at the American Country Music Awards. She tripped last autumn and was seriously injured. She tore her face up, had to get 40 or 50 stitches, several surgeries, and naturally she was really out of the public eye until now. She was very worried about what fans would think about her face and and whatnot. And, you know, she was so nervous that she actually declined to walk the red carpet at this event. But she went on stage, she sung her new single, Cry Pretty, which she absolutely nailed. And afterwards, she was visibly emotional. I know that took a lot of courage and strength, and it's really, really good to see her back in action. She's a strong woman. A GQ writer called Taylor Swift's cover of September, Hate Speech, and The Root declared this and five other songs to be completely off limits to white singers to cover. Yes, really. So in a piece headline, Don't Disrespect Our Anthem, six black songs off limits to Taylor and other white musicians, Michael Harriet wrote that he actually called the Department of Homeland Security to report the singer. He says, quote, when I first called the Department of Homeland Security to report Taylor Swift for suspected terrorist activity, the federal agents hung up on me. Just as I was explaining why I didn't consider Swift's remake of September an attack on the legendary band Earth, Wind and Fire so much as I regarded it an assault on the entire planet Earth, the movement of air and the chemical process of combustion, dot, dot, dot. And then later on, uh, he goes on to say, I want you guys to promise me something. If you ever hear a Becky, which is slang for a white woman, singing Formation by Beyonce, I want you to steal her purse, empty its contents onto the ground. If she doesn't actually have hot sauce in her bag, smash her guitar to smithereens. I can't believe that's real. (laughs) It's very real. You can go read the whole thing over at The Root. Okay, so Chick-fil-A, apparently very controversial, according to a writer, at uh, the New Yorker who called the new Chick-fil-A location opening in Manhattan, Manhattan's fourth Chick-fil-A location, mind you. Uh, Dan Piper, Pipenbring called it a creepy infiltration and said that he was upset that Chick-fil-A moved into uh, Manhattan because it made the air smelled fried. 
as opposed to the raw sewage that the city normally smells like. The brand's arrival here feels like an infiltration, he writes, in no small part because of its pervasive Christian traditionalism. Ooh. Scary. (laughs) Its headquarters in Atlanta are adorned with Bible verses and a statue of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Its stores are closed on Sundays. He goes on to write the emphasis on community, especially uh, in the misguided nod to 9-11. He writes about uh, a, like, cityscape that they have on the walls there. And it looks like, you know, they're kind of having a nod in there to the Twin Towers. So he says that this suggests an ulterior motive. Quote, the restaurant's corporate purpose still begins with the words to glorify God. Ah, and that the proselytism thrums below the surface of the Fulton Street restaurant, which has the airsots homespun ambience of a mega church. Okay, first of all, aside from this piece being a lot of word salad, mm-hmm. uh, and looks like I don't know, he spent a lot of time on a thesaurus finding words that <laughs> we don't normally use to fit it in there to make himself look smarter. Um, there's a lot going on here, other than these weird, you know adjectives that we have going on let's unpack this it's really weird and it gets weirder as you keep reading like there's one line it says it's worth asking why americans fell in love with an ad in which one farm animal begs us to kill another in its place like that's just so dramatic why can't people like (laughs) chick-fil-a because it's good family values and also like more importantly it's it's great food (laughs) yeah like who cares i mean i don't go around you know, not buying Ben and Jerry's ice cream because the owners have political views mm-hmm. that I disagree with. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. I like their ice cream, so I buy it. Like, yeah, that's a great so point. What? That's a great point. And it's weird, too, because this was the fourth location. So, like, why Right. Why well, he's now? upset because, so the earlier, like, the first location that came, people were so upset. They are protesters. So the fact that the fourth one opened up and people are just used to it is what he's upset about. He's like, why aren't there protesters That's why he's upset. Well, I think instead he should focus on Chick-fil-A has done a lot of really good work for for communities. Because they're traditionally, they're not open on Sunday, but during like Hurricane Harvey and stuff like that, they would open up and feed first responders without asking for anything in return. Right, when the shooting happens. They fed people waiting in line to donate blood. Exactly. Like they're like Chick-fil-A's, they're the first responders that come alongside the real first responders, mm-hmm. but they're always there whenever there's a natural or exactly. you know otherwise disaster or tragedy. You always read a story about, you know, Chick-fil-A stepping up. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot going on here. I think number one, this writer kind of makes like a trope of himself mm-hmm. in this, right? Like right. we're I mean, 70% of the country identifies as Christian. Like, overwhelming majority of Americans say that they're Christian. A lot of those Americans say that, you know, they're evangelical. And he has completely zero, like, concept of that, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, people outside of the Beltway, outside of the Acela Corridor, are always like, how come everyone in the media is so, like, blind to what normal right. people think? This is, like, a perfect example, case in point, like he, he is no so disconnected from like the average normal Christian American that he feels creeped out that people who are Christians might be serving him chicken. He's completely out of touch. It, it makes you wonder, like, let's say Whataburger started opening up in New York. Like, would he just have a heart attack from that? Like, would he say the South invading New York? I mean, yeah, how far are you going to take it? I... <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that he needs to calm down. Maybe Papa Xanax. Maybe go to church, see what Christianity is about, right? Because at its core, it's a very tolerant religion. 
Jesus always tells people mm-hmm. to respect other individuals and to love one another. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe crack open the Bible and calm down. I agree with you completely, Brie. <laughs> All right, next up. So there is a Boston College professor, and she's offering extra credit for her students if they go on dates. And there's more to it than that. So she says that she came up with this idea when she realized that most of her students who are seniors, they've never been like on a real traditional date. So it's extra credit. No one's being forced to do this. Um, and they call her the dating professor. And of course, she's a philosophy professor. And her main motivation is to combat the hookup culture because a lot of people say it prevents meaningful relationships. It messes up our culture, which I think a lot a lot of that is true. And so some of her conditions are yeah. These these made me laugh. The, I was I was cracking up reading this. You have to ask someone out while you're both sober. It has to be clear that it's a date. Like it can't be you know let's go get drinks. It's like I'm asking you out on a date together, and you have to ask them out in person. So you can't hide behind a screen, which. Once again, I thought she was just crushing this. And here's a quote from her. She said, this is mostly not about meeting your soulmate. It's mostly about social courage and challenging yourself to be a little countercultural to do something you know you want to do. I really enjoyed this. I thought this was really funny. And I thought it would get people out of their comfort zones, you know, off their screens, maybe meet some interesting people, develop some more relationships that are personal. But I don't know. What what would you do if your teacher offered this to you in college? I would do it. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like, oh, easy way to get extra credit points. Thanks. Also, in reading this, I was like, what do people normally do? Like, isn't this like what you normally do? Like, I don't understand. Maybe the asking them in person mm-hmm part is a little so I actually have kind of a funny story so my now boyfriend when he the first time he asked me out I wasn't sure like what was happening so he was like oh you know come like meet me for dinner at this place but I didn't know if it was just us or like his friends so then at the end of what I think is a date he's like hey uh when are you gonna let me take you out sometime (laughs) I'm like wait I thought we were on a date and he was so like oh I wouldn't ask you out in a text message I had to get you here to then ask you out in person which is that's so cute he would have thrived yeah he would have gotten like he would have gotten all the points in this assignment and and i would have been a little confused yeah but anyway no yeah it just makes you wonder like what are people normally doing and then you know you always are hearing stories about rape culture on college Mm -hmm. campuses all these things always happening like these crazy campus tribunals where they just like drag in a man and then oh and then rush him through you know the disciplinary process it's like, oh, maybe there really is this huge, massive problem. People don't even know like how to go on a normal date. Right. And she's not just singling out men or women. It's it's for both. It's to get right. everybody talking. It's just like there's cool. a yeah, it's just like she's pointing out that there's like this crucial mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. among millennials and not knowing social norms, which is kind of alarming. <laughs> well, we're gonna keep an eye on that because what a great story. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, when we come back, we will get to our segment emphasizing good at positive examples of feminism. And we're back with our segment, This is What Feminism Looks Like. So earlier this week, a female Southwest Airlines pilot, Tammy Joe Schultz, safely and calmly landed a plane full of passengers after the engine exploded Uh, And unfortunately resulted in the death of one passenger who died from injuries sustained from the broken window. Um, But, you know, 
aside from this one person uh, who unfortunately really sadly died in this really tragic way, she was able to really calmly guide this plane full of over 100 passengers on the ground completely safely and is super calm throughout this entire process. We actually have uh, some audio from this interaction between this pilot and her just really calmly talking to air traffic control about the disaster that is unfolding in the sky. Let's listen. I understand your emergency. Let me know when you want to go in. Yeah, we have a part of the aircraft missing, so we're going to need to slow down a bit. Southwest 1380, speed is your discretion. Maintain uh, at any altitude above 3,000 feet. Southwest 1380, like to turn, start turning inbound. Southwest 1380, turn, uh, just start turning southbound there. There's a Southwest 737 on a four-mile final. We'll be turning southbound. Start looking for the airport. It's off to your right and slightly behind you there. And uh, altitude is your discretion. Use caution for the uh, downtown areas. Okay, could you have the uh, medical meet us there on the runway as well? We've got uh, injured passengers. Injured passengers, okay. And are you, is your airplane physically on fire? No, it's not on fire, but part of it's missing. They said there was a hole in, and uh, someone went out. So she's cool as a cucumber throughout this disaster. I would be crying. That was screaming. Amazing. It's amazing. a good thing I'm not a pilot because I would I wouldn't have landed this or been calm at all in this situation. Uh, there's a couple other things about this woman, female pilot, that make her so remarkable. Tell us more. So she was actually one of the first female pilots in the U.S. Navy, and as you can tell, I mean the way she handled this probably made all the difference. She was also the first woman to fly an F/A-18 Hornet for the Navy. So extremely accomplished. Obviously, that experience came in handy and saved a lot of folks. And a passenger in an interview after this said, quote, most of us, when that engine blew, I think we were pretty much going, well, this just might be it. And that was from Peggy Phillips from Brandon, Texas. And she also said, to get us down with no hydraulics and a blown engine and land us safely is nothing short of miraculous to me. She's a hero for sure. And she definitely is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how she handled that. That's so amazing and definitely proves that, you know, women can do incredible, amazing, Mm -hmm. awesome things and be cool as a cucumber in the face of disaster and rescue over 100 people by acting calm and being cool in the moment. When we get back, we will crown our problematic woman of the week. And we're back with our problematic woman of the week. So this week, former First Lady Barbara Bush passed away at 92 years old, uh, surrounded by her friends and family and by her husband who held her hand the entire time, which is heartbreaking and hopeful in so many ways. So I wanted to talk about her life and her Mm -hmm. legacy, uh, but I wanted specifically to talk about Uh, In 1990, she was chosen to speak at Wellesley College um, for their commencement address, and this decision was apparently very controversial, as students didn't like the fact that she had left Smith College in 1945 to marry her husband, who was also her first kiss. Yeah. George H.W. Bush. Um, And the students actually circulated a petition to nix her as speaker. And I'm just going to read an excerpt of the petition for you. 
So Wellesley teaches us that we will be rewarded on the basis of our own merit, not on that of a spouse. To honor Barbara Bush as a commencement speaker is to honor her is to honor a woman who has gained recognition through the achievements of her husband, which contravenes what we have been taught over the past four years at Wellesley. So there's obviously a lot going on there. Uh, And so when she delivered her commencement address, this is what she said in response to the controversy. She said, for over 50 years, it was said that the winner of Wellesley's annual hoop race would be the first to get married. Now they say the winner will be the first to become CEO. Both of those stereotypes show little, too little tolerance for those who want um, to know where the mermaids stand. And the mermaids is in reference to a point that she made earlier in this speech, basically, you know, saying to uh, walk at the beat of your own drum, be a mermaid, you know, in a world full of all these other creatures. So, and I quote here, she continues on to say, so I want to offer you today a new legend. The winner of the hoop race will be the first to realize her dream, not society's dream, her own personal dream. And who knows, somewhere out there in this audience may even be someone who will one day follow in my footsteps and preside over the White House as the president's spouse. I wish him well. Well, the controversy ends here, but our con- our conversation is only the beginning and a worthwhile conversation it has been. So her words are a little wow. prophetic, right? Mm-hmm. Because right Very after much. this, Hillary Clinton and her husband, Bill Clinton, um, when well, he wins the election and she becomes first lady and she herself is a graduate of Wellesley College. So that's kind of a little interesting there. But I also really appreciate what she had to say about, you know, 50 years ago, it was expected that you'd be married, that you would just follow and do what your husband said. And that didn't leave a lot of room for women who wanted, had different mm-hmm. ideas and different visions for themselves. Now it's all about career. That doesn't leave women a lot of room who value family or value other things in their life above their career, above their salaries, um, above these other things. And I think she's definitely right. And while she delivered this speech in 1990, I think that this reality is all too real for women yeah. today. They always said she was always ahead of her time. And I think that excerpt really proves that because why do women have to choose between being CEO or, you know, having a family? Why can't we have both? And you see a lot of women now saying, wait a second, I can't have both. Maybe you can't have it all at the same time, but you can have all, you know, within your lifespan. Yeah. And also, you know, women are so often castigated for not making the same decisions Mm -hmm. as men, which lead to salary and discrepancies at times. Right. Like women, doctors, Mm -hmm. they specialize in different fields. They take a lot of time off more than men um you know they often work part-time which contributes to this wage gap you know thing that we often hear about and talk about a lot but really it's different decisions that women have made that contribute you know to that number discrepancy and why should we punish them for that or make them feel bad about that fact right like if they decide to take time off for their family or to specialize in something Mm -hmm. that's not so demanding what's wrong with that yeah and how do you put data on choices that women make. I mean, I think yeah. I think it's kind of misleading because if women, you know, always veer towards wanting to be a bit more flexible and whatnot, that's something that's important to take into consideration, but maybe you can't 
quite put numbers on it. Exactly. So I'm always glad when we point that out. And, you know, Barbara Bush had thoughts on a lot of topics. And in particular, she was very open about death and her face. You know, she and her husband went through a very trying time early in their marriage when their daughter, Robin, died very young at, from leukemia. And so this clip that we're about to play for you is Mrs. Bush talking about death and her faith. I have no fear of death which is a huge comfort because we're getting darn close. And I don't have a fear of death for my precious George or for myself because I know that there is a great God and I'm not worried about that. I don't like it for young people, but I know we'll see Robin again one way or another. I thought that was so eloquent. And she, of course, mentions her daughter, Robin. Um, you know, Mrs. Bush was such an important, like, for the nation, but also for Houston. And I'm from Houston. I remember growing up, and, and she was always around. And at Astros games, she would always keep score. Um, so she definitely was important. She and her husband came to the Super Bowl when it was in Houston, not this most recent one, but the time before. And they were always just very active, very gracious and kind and caring, um, and just very admirable people. And I wanted to read... Um, President George H.W. Bush released a statement today, and he said, I always knew Barbara was the most beloved woman in the world, and in fact, I used to tease her that I had a complex about the fact. But the truth is the outpouring of love and friendship being directed at the enforcer is lifting us all up. We have faith that she is in heaven, and we know that life will go on as she would have it. So cross the bushes off your worry list. I thought that was a great statement. And, And Bush, you know, 43 today, had a leadership event Um, in Dallas having to do with his presidential library. And he said, of course, he was still going to go through with it because that's what she would have wanted. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So We'll keep them in our thoughts and prayers. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow all of my work over at thefederalist.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal or on Twitter at Jenny Maltabano. And it's Jenny with a G, as our producer likes to say. Because <laughs> you are a G. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this podcast is a collaboration of The Daily C- Signal and The Federalist and is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. And if you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from. We really appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and more importantly, for supporting strong, conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 